Good evening. I appreciate Brother Bill's reading, but this is the first time hearing about any inclement weather coming our way, so uh, that was a coincidence. Um, we're going to be looking at some psalms again tonight. Uh, because there's supposed to be a snowmageddon coming, I thought we would just sing a couple of the psalms that we learned last time and then look at Psalm 8, which is one of my favorite psalms. Uh, I picked that scripture reading. You might have been hoping for a, a sermon on the blizzard or whatever. I no. I just think that it's fun. There's a psalm for everything. Uh, there's even a psalm talking about God's cold. So uh, I, I enjoy that verse a lot when it comes to times like this. But really quickly, let's uh, go ahead and sing a couple of the psalms that we learned last time. And these, again, are, are two familiar tunes that we know. So we'll, uh, we'll start with the third psalm, which is to the tune of Amazing Grace. If you'll sing it with me. <clears throat> oh, Lord, my foes are multiplied against me many Sixty-sixth Psalm, which is to the tune of "O Worship the King." Let's sing this together. O God, hear my cry; give heed to my prayer. From earth's farthest end, I call to you there. When my heart grows faint, it is then that I cry. Lead me to the rock that is higher. Wait. 
king's life you'll then prolonging his days his years will be many from age unto age before god he'll sit enthroned he'll endure give your love and truth to make him secure so i will forever to your name sing praise that i may my vows pay throughout all my days tonight we're going to look just briefly at the eighth psalm which as i said is one of my favorite psalms i think it's one of the most profound readings in all of the bible it's bracketed with kind of the same praise to God at the start and the end. It starts with, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. In the beginning of this psalm, we see a God who is glorious even above the highest of the heavens. Any kind of perceivable greatness in creation, anything that we could look into the sky and behold, we see that God is above it and his name is above all. But we see that he's the kind of God that even though he can create these glorious things, even though he has created a, a creation beyond all imagination, he's a God who is glorified and who is made excellent in the fact that he ordains strength through babes and nursing infants. Now, you've heard people say out of the mouth of babes, and they use it whenever a kid says something probably honest that we don't want them to say. Um, but what it's talking about here is the fact that when God wants to do something, when you think about out of the mouth of babes, right? We're about to have a new baby, and I'm, I'm pretty excited about that. I like babies. But the thing with babies is they're not very, uh, how do I put this? They can't take care of themselves very well, right? I wish they did. I would really be looking forward to that if I had the third one could change his own diapers. But that's not the case, right? Kids need to be taken care of. But what it means, I believe, when it says out of the mouth of babes you have ordained strength is that when God does something, he uses people who we would assume to be weak. I think about Moses, a man who said, I don't even have a tongue to talk, God. I, I'm not able to stand before Pharaoh, someone who he probably knew pretty well he came from the Pharaoh's house and had probably known the man who had become Pharaoh in his absence. And yet God used Moses as one of the most amazing spokesmen in all of history. He, he was as God to Pharaoh. He uh, did all of this great exodus of bringing the children out of Egypt, uh, the children of Israel out of Egypt under him. And Moses even stood there at the Red Sea on that day and parted the water so that Israel could go across, of course, through God's hand. What about David? We think about David, the young man who, again, goes out on the battlefield delivering food, and yet he sees a giant who is decrying God's people. He's mocking God's people, and thus he's mocking God. And David says, somebody ought to do something about this. Well, nobody will. He says, I'll do it. He's someone that no one would have expected to defeat Goliath, and yet God used him and ordained strength through him to defeat the enemies of the Lord. I think even this is kind of blurry, but this is a, a painting of Gideon, right? We remember the story of Gideon and uh, his command to go up against Midian, that God wants them to be defeated. And Gideon says, well, you know, I, I need some tests to make sure that you're actually going to do what you say. And God follows through with that. And he, uh, Gideon gets together a, you know, a, few, a handful of soldiers, and God says, that's too many. And then he whittles it down, and God says, that's too many. I want you to do it with 300 men. And through God's power and God's deliverance, 
They end up overcoming the foe, and the foe defeats themselves. We continue on. It says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? It's a question worth pondering. You imagine Adam in the Garden of Eden as he looked around at all of the creation around him. Maybe he looked across the garden and saw the great behemoth, some of the dinosaurs that were walking around, or maybe the elephant or the rhino. Maybe he looked at the gigantic trees that God had created on the earth. But for some reason, God seems most interested in who? In Adam, in Eve, in humanity. And maybe Adam could have looked up at the sky and wondered, with all that's out there, why does everything seem so centered on me? It says, for you have made him, man, a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. We'll come back to that statement, a little lower than the angels, at the end of the lesson tonight. But it's interesting, you can read about this, and I've never looked up at the sky and saw this, but apparently light pollutes the air around us. I I don't think about this, that we live in a a light-polluted area, but apparently if you're somewhere where there isn't a lot of light pollution, and this is probably with a little camera magic too, you can see stars upon stars, the multitudes of the heavens, and and I just can't even really imagine in, in person seeing something like this in the sky and really coming to grips with just how small we truly are in the grand scheme of the universe. When you are a child and you're shown a, a picture of the planets in our solar system, and you would just assume that Earth must be the biggest and most important, and then you look and see that Earth's really nothing special. It's not the most uh, ornate planet. It's not the most decorated, right? It, we do have air. That's one positive that we have on a lot of the other planets. But still, when you look around, you might think, wow, Earth in, in the grand scheme of things just really isn't that big. What makes us so special and it's that thought that is going through the psalmist's mind again whether you think of it as as David who's looking up at the night sky and thinking this I think we could put the words just as easily in the mouth of Adam and saying God why why with all of this creation why is it that man is the crowning achievement and yet that's what God said at the very beginning he said man made in our image that's the real prize that's the real goal of this entire creation project. He goes on to say in the psalm, you have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. It's a very short psalm, but what's fascinating about it is it's mostly centered on humanity. It looks at the greatness of God. It starts and ends with the excellence of God's name. But then it says in in the middle of the sandwich, right? We're sandwiched between those two praises. In the middle it says, God has taken man who should be of no account and made him to have dominion over all the works of creation. He's put us in this position. And again, the question is why? And, And the answer doesn't really come except to say, Oh, Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Thank you. Thank you, God, for where you've put us and what you've done for us. The New Testament goes on to talk about this a little bit, but before we get to that at the end, I want us to try and sing Psalm 8. Now, this one does not have a tune that we know, so I want you to work with me. I know we have a little bit less people here tonight. The cream of the crop, as Rellen was saying earlier, the best of the best are here. And so we're going to work on this, and I want to teach you this tune really quick so we can sing through this psalm. So I'm going to sing a little solo, the first part, and I want you to repeat after me, okay, slowly. 
O Lord, our Lord in all the earth. Sing it with me. O Lord, our Lord in all the earth. One more time. O Lord, our Lord in all the earth. Very good. All right. The next part goes like this. How glorious is your name. Let's try it. How glorious is your name. Let's put them together. O Lord, our Lord in all the earth, how glorious is your name. Very good. Now the next part goes like this. For you have set above the heavens. I always laugh at heavens because that's not a real word, right? But it gets it into one syllable. So listen one more time. For you have set above the heavens. Very good. Let's try it one more time. For you have set above the heavens. Very good. Then it goes, your glory and your fame. This is the fanciest part yet, right? There's some runs here. But we got this. Let's try it together. Your glory and your fame. Let's try it all together. O Lord, our Lord in all the earth, how glorious is your name. For you have said above the hands your glory and your fame. You guys pick up on these very quick. All right, we're going to sing through the whole thing now a little bit faster. I've marked here, you see this one. As we go through, I've marked every verse in the psalm, which for the most part is going to line up with the verses that we sing. And we'll sing through this psalm together. All right. Mm. O Lord, our Lord in all the earth, how glorious is your name. For you have said above the Yeah. 
Very good. Thank you. I, I always enjoy singing those psalms and hearing it put to tune, right? It kind of brings it to life a little bit better than just reading it. The problem with Psalm 8 is this. Man had a wonderful setup in the Garden of Eden, right? God put everything under Adam's feet. Everything was going great. And then what happened? Sin entered the world. Sin became a problem because there was a serpent that came into the garden and, and told Eve that she would not surely die. And Eve partook of the fruit and she gave some to her husband who was there with her. And then we enter a world of sin and sadness and woe. We enter a world where men didn't have dominion over all creatures. Imagine a world where Adam at one point could name each and every creature as it marched before him. Now some of those creatures wouldn't march, right? They would actually hurt Adam, try to kill humanity. And so things became much, much worse than they were in the past. It left mankind in, in a sort of hopeless situation. We had this, this great role that God had given us in all of creation. And I, and I don't want to pretend that man isn't still high in creation, that we still aren't above all. But something was wrong. Something wasn't right in the order of things as God had intended it. But the good news for us is that there's someone who fixed it. There's someone who changed that and changed it forever for himself and then ultimately for us. If we look in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, here the Hebrew author is making an argument about the fact that angels are not above the Son of God. Angels are not better than Jesus in any way. Jesus is above each and every uh, angelic spiritual being that exists. He says, For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. It has been testified somewhere, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him. You have made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. Here, he's talking about not only Jesus, but he says, in fact, if you look at the psalm that was quoted there, God said that even the angels and all the creation would be subject to mankind. And he quotes the eighth psalm there. At the end, he says, at this point, the present, we don't yet see everything under his feet. But then he says this, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It's, it's amazing what a translation will do, and, and not every translation has it put in these words, but I think if you go back to the original language, it's the most accurate. That the Old Testament reading of the 8th Psalm says, you've made him a little lower than the angels. And in our mind, that means, well, the angels are here and mankind's here. We're just a little bit beneath them, and that's pretty cool. That's not what the intent of the psalm is, at least as the Hebrew author says it. He says, we were made for a little while lower than the angels. The truth of the psalm is, we're not forever below the angels. No, God still has his plan to make humanity the crown, the king of all creation for eternity. And he's doing it through the one who was for a little while made lower than the angels, who tasted death for us all. He did it through Jesus. And the good news of Psalm 8 is we see all of this wonderful language about how man has everything in subjection under him. That has been made true in the fact that a man sits at the right hand of God. 
Jesus Christ, the man, Jesus Christ, who will judge all on the last day, he has taken humanity with him into the throne room of heaven. And he's taken it not so that he can be the one human in rule and, and the one human king, and the rest of us can kind of grovel along with him. As I always say, there, there are no janitors in heaven. There are no uh, wage workers in heaven. There are no servants or slaves in heaven. Jesus is saving us, and he's gone ahead of us so that we can reign alongside of him. And it's in that light as we sing the eighth psalm and see that God has put everything under our feet through Jesus. It makes one pause and still ask that question, what is man that you consider him? Why does God care for us in the way he does? Why does he love us and lavish this grace upon us? I don't think any of us can give the answer except to say that God is love and God is good and he's given us more than we could have ever asked for. 